0: Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacey
1: Washington. You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right.
2: Welcome to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Ride here on American Family Radio and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. And I am ready and willing to have this Friday come into the studio right now. It's it's fantastic to be with you. Uh, head over to AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Our websites, check out the conference, which is August 17th. Um, we're so excited to be able to welcome national speakers, as well as speakers from Urban Family Talk to uh, Tupelo. We're all going to be there together, including me. I'm going to be there. And I'm excited about the opportunity to speak about marriage and family and to meet so many people who will be at the conference. Today on the program, we're going to talk about McDonald's salads, sickening hundreds. We also have um, a lot of information about uh, the details surrounding this movement to eliminate ICE. Um, And and it is a movement that the Democrats are currently working their way through. They're trying to give it some legs. They feel it's a great opportunity for them to motivate voters for the midterms. I'm not sure how many of their voters they think are going to be fine with abolishing an agency that really serves so many good law enforcement purposes uh, from stopping drug trafficking to stopping human trafficking. And we're, we're going to be listening to some audio of Senator Tom Cotton on the floor, really taking them to task for this kind of craziness that they've been engaging in. And then we also have, and this is the most important thing for today, we're going to have our, one of our frequent guests who's a favorite, fan favorite, um, and it's Richard Lim. He's a, the creator of This American President. And it's a podcast and he's also a former White House political appointee in the Bush administration, an author and national security commentator. He's going to join the program in hour two and chat with us a little bit about foreign policy and what we're looking at with this whole Russian aggression thing. It's nothing new, but we still have to figure on exactly how will the Trump administration move forward. These are bad actors, Um, you know, ding, 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 newsflash. These are bad actors. These are countries in which. We can't place a lot of credibility in their word. But they're also friends in that they've helped us before. When it comes to terrorism, Russia is an ally. Uh, so it's, it's a weird mix. And there's nothing that can be done about that except to deal with the land as it lies. We can't uh, magically create a new relationship, but we can work on improving the relationship that exists. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that as well. Right now, I want to get through uh, a little bit of audio by Tom Cotton. He's talking about the Democrats and their sudden obsession with abolishing ICE. Now, what's important about this is that the Republicans have given all of the space required to the Democrats for them to put their bills forward. So if they wanted to uh, have bills where they're on the record as not supporting ICE, they're, they're free to do that. They're free to submit bills and Paul Ryan will bring them to the floor. And when called on their obsession with ICE, they tend to crumble. So let's listen to Tom Cotton uh, talk about this. It's number two.
3: I'd like to take this opportunity to express my support for the 20,000 men and women of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They work hard every day to keep drugs off our streets, to stop human trafficking, to protect our communities from gang violence, and yes, to enforce our immigration laws. Theirs can be a thankless job, but they do it with courage, dedication, and professionalism. So I, for one want to say thank you. And I'd like to point out the overwhelming support that House Republicans showed for ICE yesterday, which stands in stark contrast to the contemptible display put on by House Democrats. On a simple resolution, merely expressing support for the men and women of ICE, only 18 Democrats voted yes. Eight skipped the vote, 34 voted no, And 133 Democrats voted present, which is the same thing as no. That's a pretty sad state of affairs. 34 Democrats condemn the men and women of ICE. And 141 Democrats don't even have the courage of their conviction. They don't even have the guts to vote yes or no. Because we all know Democrats, in their heart of hearts, want to abolish ICE.
2: And that's that's the key here. But why? What what purpose does it serve to have more lawlessness, to have more people's lives endangered? to have an increase in the trafficking of drugs? How does that help Democrats or Republicans? Uh, Drug dealers aren't asking people if they're Republicans before they uh, take over neighborhoods and uh, jump kids into gangs and force children to help them deal drugs. They don't they don't ask. They don't have any. There's no questions about it. So when we're talking about this, I just I kind of wish we had more um, more opportunities to have honesty from the Democrats and that they would go on the record verbally so that everyone could understand what it is that they're doing. Uh, So he goes into it just a little bit further and he really talks about this open borders fetish that the Democrats are engaging in. It's number three.
3: Those illegal aliens were responsible for more than 80,000 DUIs. 76,000 dangerous drug offenses, 48,000 assaults, 11,000 weapon offenses, 5,000 sexual assaults, 2,000 kidnappings, and 1,800 homicides. Yes, that's right, almost 2,000 souls would still be on this earth, but for those illegal alien criminals. ICE's investigative arm also seized more than 980,000 pounds of narcotics last year. These men and women are on the front lines of the war on drugs and the opioid crisis in particular. Do the Democrats really believe we should put all these efforts on hold? This call to abolish ICE is so irresponsible that even some Democrats, those not running for president or beholden to the radical left, are speaking out against it. Jay Johnson, President Obama's former Secretary of Homeland Security, has said It's not a serious policy proposal and would compromise public safety. He's pointed out that even those who opposed the Vietnam War wouldn't have demanded that we abolish the Department of Defense. Eric Holder, President Obama's former Attorney General, has said, I don't think that substantively or politically that makes a great deal of sense, calling it a gift to Republicans. And Sarah Saldana, who ran ICE under President Obama, has called it nonsensical. But perhaps the most insightful comment came from former Senator Joe Lieberman of Connecticut. He said, this makes no sense unless you no longer want any rules on immigration or customs to be enforced. And that, I would contend, is the whole point.
2: And that is the whole point. When he says almost 2,000 Americans would still be here if not for illegal immigrants coming here and killing them, that has to be one of those situations where you kind of just sit back for a second. Whoa, we're not talking about an insignificant number of lives. Remember when we have a mass shooting and, and I, my heart always goes out to the victims of mass shootings and it's, it's always just a, a horrible crushing weight that, that you feel when you hear that people have been shot in a mass shooting, whether it's, you know, in a, in a, regular public place, and especially when it's at a school and it's innocent kids getting gunned down. But the numbers have never, we've never had a mass shooting where almost 2,000 people were killed. And God forbid, I hope we never do. If we get that upset over the smaller numbers in mass shootings, and we have had some significant numbers, but never in the thousands, then where is the outrage over Almost 2,000 people being killed and the untold thousands of people who've been raped, shot, but not killed, cut, stabbed and otherwise wounded by this this phenomenon that we're experiencing, which is illegal immigration. And I know what people want to say is, well, the bulk of the people who are here illegally are law abiding citizens. Is that the point? I'm sorry. Is that the point? Uh, Not to me. It's not about them being law-abiding once they're here, once they've broken the initial law. The first law they've broken is our border law. They've come into the country illegally. Every day they're here illegally, they're still breaking that law. So there is no, well, they haven't committed any crimes. They committed a crime by coming here illegally. And this is there's some audio of Keith Ellison and it enraged me so much. I decided, you know, this isn't going to be something we're going to listen to on a Friday, not, not on a day where we're, we're getting ready for the weekend. Look, Keith Ellison was actually on uh, an interview talking about how we allow our businesses to immigrate into other countries, basically to shop around for better wages, better conditions to, with which to produce their products. And he said, if we allow that, then borders are... Uh, discriminatory because borders prevent people from looking around for better work opportunities and living conditions for their families. Now this is something that someone who wants to destroy the United States would say readily. Keith Ellison is a Muslim. It is well known that Islam advocates for civilizational jihad, which means you go into the civilization that you want to take over. You have all the babies you can you take over the local governments, then the state governments, then you start to, gu- to gun for the, the national government. Once you reach 10% of the population through high birth rate, then you start advocating for changing the laws in that country and converting everything over to Sharia Islam. Keith Ellison is absolutely down with that plan. He's close to Louis Farrakhan. He has close associations with the Muslim Brotherhood. And he, he doesn't hide the fact that he doesn't think America's running the right way. And we do have a lot of immorality and we have some problems in our country, but we definitely don't want to give up on the experiment that has brought us all to this place. And so people who don't like it here might, I always, it's always a choice. If you live here and you don't like the way things are run, obviously if you're a citizen, you can advocate for change. But if you really think the entire system is just awful, why not go live under an, a Muslim system? I, it, I mean, it just shocks me that Keith Ellison doesn't just up and move to an Islamic country and live under Sharia law? Why would he stay here if it's as racist and misogynistic and bigoted and everything else that he he's constantly leveling these awful attacks at America? Then why doesn't he just, you know, trip on off to another country, a, an Islamic country? Have you noticed that? Uh, the The women's march leaders, a couple of them are the, you know, head scarf wearing variety. Linda Sarsour is always talking about how horrible America is, but she could easily immigrate back to a Muslim nation. She could. There is no reason why she shouldn't just go ahead and do that. But she's not going to because it's more fun for her to make a living here, basically spouting off nonsense and calling herself an activist and acting as if she hates America, when in reality, the kind of attitude that she displays would get her uh, you know, one of those billy club beatings by the religious police if she was in Saudi Arabia, where coincidentally the women just got the right to drive. Now, I drove there, uh, you know, I won't say how many years ago, but when I was there on active duty serving during a, a, a temporary duty assignment, as long as I had my uniform on and I, ha- and I was wearing my hat that went with my uniform, I could drive. So our commander for our little unit, uh, he had a Jeep and he would send me off. You need, I need you to go back over here. I need you to go there. And this is before GPS and all that stuff. So had to figure my way out. So I would drive to and from and do whatever he asked me to do. And sometimes he'd say, here's the keys to the Jeep. You want you know, If you want to run out and, and it's the end of the day, I'm, I'm riding with so-and-so. And I would use the Jeep. I'd drive off of the military installation there. It was, it was an air base and I was just driving around Saudi Arabia just as, as as hunky-dory as you please. I could do that because I had a green ID card and command sponsorship by the United States military. I could do that because I was an American citizen and my American citizenship was recognized, is recognized by Saudi Arabia. Which means I had rights and privileges that were afforded to me by the Constitution that literally reached out across I don't know how many thousands of miles between Eglin Air Force Base in Florida and uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I don't know how many miles it was, but those rights and privileges followed me around because I had a little plastic card that represented what the Constitution enshrined as my rights anywhere that I go. We, We have people who are playing a dangerous game. They want to make it seem like in a country where they can say anything and be anything they want that this is the worst place on earth, but they're not willing to go to those worst places on earth and say those same things because they enjoy their freedom too much. Hypocrisy of the highest form. We'll be back with more right after these messages. You stay there.
4: You know, people often ask me, Tim, what's your favorite part of the Holy Land tour? I've been leading Holy Land tours for many years now. I'm Tim Wilman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I learned how to lead these Israel tours from my dad, who started doing them in the 60s. And then he taught me in the 80s and 90s. And now my wife, Allison, and I lead these tours annually to Israel. And we love going because we love seeing people's eyes when they see things, such as the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, and the Garden Tomb, and the Wailing Wall, see all these things for the first time, and maybe the last time in many folks' lives, because this is a bucket list trip. We're gonna be going in March. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, give us a call at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and we'll send you a brochure. If you want to go to the website, everything's there, twholyland.com twholyland.com
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I recall some years ago driving past a small storefront church in a crowded urban area. I was struck by the name of the church. It was called the Holy Ghost Headquarters. I sort of smiled and I remember thinking I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit had a headquarters this side of heaven other than in the hearts of the followers of Christ. I also recall thinking there's not a building big enough to contain our awesome God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18, Solomon expresses this when he says, Will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. This was his dedicatory prayer after building the amazing temple that David wanted to build. Then Solomon cried out to God in this sense of worship and praise and adoration. But in his prayer, he was also reminding the people there's not a place big enough to contain God, and that he would come and dwell in this little place, making his presence known to us, is awesome indeed. We should all be filled with awe that God would dwell with us. Our minds should almost be blown that God, the God of the universe, chooses to reside inside our hearts. We need to focus on his magnitude, his greatness. We need to be, in a word, big God people. God in his greatness lives in us and there is nothing that he cannot do. We should also realize that none of us have a corner on God. God is great, he's magnificent, he's beyond our imagination and our ability to comprehend. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Ask God to help you to appreciate how enormous he is. This will produce humility in your heart and great faith in your soul. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. You're listening to a best of edition of
5: Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. The president's consistently been briefed on this issue. He understands that the Russians have uh, interfered in our elections. He frankly understands that's been going on for an awfully long time. It wasn't just the 2016 election. Somehow, America seems to forget the history of Russia's efforts to undermine Western democracy for decades now. Uh, It gets confused uh, because uh, there are those who want to make a partisan case out of this with respect to the Mueller investigation. Uh, The President understands uh, what Russia did in our elections uh, in 2016 and he has empowered each of us to make sure that it doesn't happen again in the 20 th- 2018 or 2020 elections here in the United States as well.
3: And looking at those things moving forward, the president was asked repeatedly yesterday by a member of the press corps about whether he believes meddling is still ongoing. He responded, thank you, no. The White House says he was saying no to any further questions. Do you believe Russia is still meddling in our elections?
5: I have great confidence that the Russians will try and undermine Western democracy in 2017. 2018, 2019, and for an awfully long time, it is our responsibility as leaders of the United States government to do all that we can to deter them from interfering with us, not only in our elections, but more broadly as well.
2: That was Mike Pompeo speaking uh, about the Russian interference in U.S. elections, and he's right; it's been happening for decades. And I, I'm, I want to point out to you and welcome back to the program at stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram if you want to check me out online. Uh, I, w- I want to point out to you that this this is something that as far as recently as the 2012 presidential election cycle during the campaign, you have Mitt Romney making comments during a, a debate with, um, you know, then President Obama. And he's saying, you know, it's interesting Um we our geopolitical enemy is Russia. And what we need to do is we need to acknowledge that and we need to be stronger against them. And we need to present a, a much firmer stance than what you have done in your first term of your presidency. And Obama was like, oh, the Cold War called. They want their foreign policy back. He, he completely and utterly dismissed it as nonsense. He was caught on a hot mic talking about how he, you know, he would have more flexibility on the missile defense system after he won his election. All of these things point to a very limp-wristed approach from Obama towards our foreign policy with Russia. And the media didn't have a problem with that. They did not utter a peep. So why are they so obsessed with it now? Because they have Trump derangement syndrome. Because this is not about, uh, it's not about Russia. Yeah, it's about Russia interfering in the election, but it's, it's about, that's the premise by which they get to skirt taking responsibility for losing that election to Donald Trump, someone they found repugnant and absolutely outside the pale after he declared he was running for the presidency as a Republican. Before that, he was everybody's bro. He was the man. He was the one you wanted a cameo in your rap video and your beer commercial and your Carvassier commercial. You You wanted him walking behind you wearing your tie or your jacket or your shoes. You had a yacht scene you were going to shoot. You wanted Donald Trump on there with his latest wife, you know, wind blowing, wife in a bathing suit, him in a suit. You wanted that look. It was cool to rep Donald Trump in the background because he represented power and affluence and wealth and just an all around. You know, he was the bro who was everybody's bro. He was everybody's friend. Every you know, and he never said no. If a magazine wanted to comment there, he was. He was always available. And so they loved him. Not political. They knew he donated to Pelosi and Schumer and Clinton, and they knew he donated to Republicans when it was needed. They knew he was all over the map when it came politically. As long as he didn't openly advocate for the Republicans, he was good to go. His checks were good with the black organizations, all Reverend Al Sharpton and the Reverend Jesse Jackson, the faux reverends. They took his money happily. They took pictures with him. They were glad to give him awards and to have him come and, and to their events and be there with them. He was their guy. Now he's the president. He's a Republican and he's doing things that really they can't tolerate seeing him. Not just he's not just taking a little pickaxe and, you know, kind of chipping away at what Obama tried to do with his pen and phone. He's ripping and raking and he's mowing stuff out of the way. He's like on a um, we, we've, we've used this comparison before. Here it comes. Don't get grossed out. I'm just like you with some things. I get totally grossed out. He's like what they do when they go to a person's house and the person is a hoarder. And at first the hoarder is like, you can't, I can't leave any of this stuff. And they only have a pathway through and rats are living in there and roaches are living in there. And there's, there's just nothing has been used. The bathrooms don't work. You don't know how they're actually living in that place. And the team will come through with the therapist who's also the director of the cleanup and they have to work this person through a psychological process of letting go of all of this garbage that they've stacked up. And what they'll do is they'll literally, they'll just try to get the person to say, I can let go of these two or three things, then 10 things, then maybe find 10 things in each room. And by the time they get the person ready to start really letting go of everything that's trash and only keeping items that are usable, that's when they just, they'll have a, almost a busload of people show up in those white suits. And they'll have masks over their faces. And they go in and they just start tearing everything out. Donald Trump is that counselor person directing the hazmat team to come in and just tear apart all that hoarded up, stacked up garbage, that unworkable, nonsensical morass of just idiocy that was, a fo- it was foisted upon America back when Obama was the president. That is what's happening right now, and so you've got instead of one hoarder who you know just can't let go of a few things, you've got all the Democrats on the left, and they're literally they're losing their minds. They're grabbing onto their garbage healthcare, so you know so-called healthcare thing that they passed at Obamacare. They're grabbing onto their regulations and they're they're grabbing onto their deep state tentacles, and they're like, you can't do you. That's that's our Supreme Court. That's our uh, you can't touch that. You can't go overseas and renegotiate deals. And we're going to get into this a little bit today. Um, this whole NAFTA thing. Uh, I read some information this morning. So th- this is the stuff that we as Americans just don't know because our elected officials don't talk about it. And we've had presidents, Democrats and Republicans, who have been perfectly fine with NAFTA the way it was. So we're, we're going to get into that. But first, let's listen to this flashback. And it's just a quick little hit here. When hardball... Chris Matthews, we're mocking Mitt Romney's outdated views on Russia. And this is uh, I was just describing this to you a couple seconds ago. You've got Mitt Romney at this debate with President Obama. He starts talking about the geopolitical force that is Russia and how they're out to dismantle the United States and to harm us in any way that they can, be it through propaganda or attacking our electoral systems or or moving against us uh, in Behind the scenes, basically puppeteering other regimes to move against us to orchestrate our behaviors or to negatively impact our forces abroad, anything they can do to tear us down a little bit. And everybody just made fun of him for saying that. And at the time, I thought it's he's actually right. He's not wrong. But the leftists were just like, what did he say? It's number seven.
5: Up next, Mitt Romney hoped to exploit President Obama's open mic moment the other day with the president of Russia, but once again Mitt stepped in it calling Russia our number one geopolitical enemy. What's this, the evil empire again? Is Romney running for president in 2012 or 1952? It was a moment Mitt Romney probably thought he could use to his advantage. The president caught on an open mic telling Russian President Dmitry Medvedev to give him space on missile defense, but once again Romney stepped on his own message.
2: How so? He only stepped on his own message with Democrats because Democrats hated Mitt Romney and they weren't going to love him if he didn't talk about Russia and be honest about it. They were going to hate him regardless. It's not like they were like, oh, wait, now now we don't like him. He's talking about Russia. Now we don't really like him. No, they were trumpeting Russia and defending Russia. And, you know, they, they just couldn't get enough of Russia. They could not get enough. They, I mean, it was just like. Those are pals. They thought it was cool when Barack Obama and uh, Putin were like fist bumping each other and having a good time, enjoying each other's company because it was Obama. Whoever Obama liked, they liked. You know, it, remember how it was in high school where a couple of the people would basically determine who everybody liked. And if they decided to ostracize someone, then everyone would ostracize them except people who, you know, had spines and could think for themselves. It's kind of like that with Obama. Whoever he likes, well, we, we like that person. They're just the best. Whoever he doesn't like, tch, ugh, that's someone who's a racist and a bigot. He's now Barack Obama overseas running around telling people um, he doesn't like the way men are behaving. I mean, who asked him? Like, he represents all men. I, I want to see him say that to the face of a Marine Corps combat veteran, not as former president of the United States, check out my secret security and, and my secret service, but as just Barack Obama, wearer of suits and um, mom jeans and, you know, like that. I mean, if he's really mad at all men for what reason, we don't know. I see the way men are behaving and I'm just, I'm really annoyed. Like we care. Who, what man out there is up sitting up thinking, well, I better not say this or I better not like that. Barack Obama might not like it. I mean, I have not met a man who gave two thoughts to what Barack Obama thinks about what they're doing. Why, why would they? Like, who, who even cares? So we've got this uh, negotiation of NAFTA. Now, the reason this is important and the reason why it's a part of the discussion with Russia is that there have been so many of these deals that in the past, you know, almost 600 days, the president has dismantled. TPP was actually a means by which American sovereignty could be skirted through these so-called panels that were a part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The panels could determine whether or not a business was operating within the parameters of the partnership, and they could tell businesses what to do, what products they could or could not make so much of. It was the worst thing ever, except the Paris Climate Accords. Like if you're If you're in a contest of worst thing ever, you've got... Trans-Pacific Partnership and uh, you know, Paris Climate Accords like neck and neck just you know at each other's throats trying to win that race. Unless you're talking about NAFTA. So what most Americans think NAFTA is is they think it's an agreement between Mexico and the United States and Canada by which all other outside deals have to comport with the inside deal that's been made. What it is in reality is it's a mechanism by which Canada... And Mexico have other countries like China and Russia and any other country that uh, Japan, any country that makes vehicles or anything that we used to make here in the United States in droves. And they can't ship it directly into the United States at a very low cost, the parts and assemble the parts in the United States because our workers expect to be paid too much. So they ship the parts into Mexico. And then Mexicans put the cars together. They put the parts together, the cheaper parts. And then they bring the cars fully assembled into the United States because Mexico has a favorable trading arrangement with us with very little tariffs added, almost no tax added. And they bring those in. And so they're making money on the front end when they bring the parts in. They're being paid to bring the parts in. They're being paid to assemble. They're, they have the actual factories in, on, in Mexico on their soil. They're, they're getting work, workers have jobs out of that. They get tax revenue out of that. And then they bring it into the United States. And they get to bring some of the profit back to themselves as well. Now in the EU, their deal that they have, whatever deal they have standing within the EU Outside actors who want to make deals with individual companies within the EU have to respect those same deals. So whatever tariff exists within the EU or whatever uh, unfavorable activity there that one country has going outside towards bringing in any product also exists with any outside actor for any of the other members of the EU. I mean, it's a really fascinating thing that most Americans don't understand this. So when you hear people stumping and talking about, well, we just we need free trade, Do we? I I had someone compare it to me once a few years ago as if so basically he asked me if I would be okay with the time that I have on the radio that I'm contracted to provide radio talk, um, a radio program to provide a program. And how would I like it if they said, okay, so you have your program on Mondays and then on Tuesdays we let this guy come in because he comes in. He's cheaper than you are. So we're going to let him come in on Tuesdays. We're going to let someone else come in on Wednesdays. And so you'll be there. You still have your show, but you're on Mondays because we can afford you on Mondays. And then the rest of the week, we have people who are cheaper, who will give us a, a program for cheaper. They're going to come in. What kind of contract would that be for me? Why would I ever say yes to something like that? But that is what we're doing. And that's why we've seen the gutting of our manufacturing sector and all of our jobs, which Again, companies are going to send the factories to where they can get the cheapest labor and also have the most favorable relationships with their parts suppliers. So, if they don't have to buy the parts from the United States, they don't have to have the United States workers, but they can bring the vehicle that they've assembled into the United States and sell it to the consumers, that's a win win for them. So, contrary to what Keith Ellison is saying about how that's happening and therefore we don't need borders, I think it's the opposite. We still need borders. What we need to do is we need to change the way the NAFTA arrangement is set up so that Canada and Mexico can't make money over American workers coming and going. Understandably, the minute the president starts talking about renegotiating NAFTA, you see people spinning in the street and, you know, it's like they're being, they have a demon inside them and they need to be exercised. They're losing their minds, uh, giving all of the reasons why it just can't happen. We just can't let him destroy NAFTA. We can't let him make some kind of deal or do something, you know, we, we can't do that. And here's, here's the cake taker. Yes, we can. In fact, it's not just yes, we can. We must. We must have President Trump renegotiate NAFTA and if need be, create individual agreements, one with Canada, that would be between us and Canada, and it would be none of Mexico's business. And one between us and Mexico, that would be between us and Mexico and would be none of Canada's business. And then anybody else who's coming and trying to bring products into the United States would no longer be able to land their products in Mexico or Canada and then circumvent the rules and regulations that we've implemented to protect our workers. And please miss me with this talk about we don't want protectionism. We do. What do you do with your family? You don't call it protectionism, but you put everything on the line to protect your family, don't you? Your assets, your home, your vehicles. You do that because you care about your family and you want to see it succeed. We care about America and we want to see America succeed. There's no shame in that. It's not racist. It's not bigotry. It's just good common sense. When we get back, we're going to have more radio for you. 866-963-2037. That's 866-963-2037. Get in the call queue if you'd like here on this wonderful Friday. I'm Stacy on the right. The Capital One
1: commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know something. Someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Toni Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com.
0: Hi, my name is Mike. Marijuana was my obsession. And because of this, I watched my dreams shatter like glass. I would have given up if it had not been for Teen Challenge. They helped me get my life back on track again. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk
2: coming next week on The Dwelling Place. Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place.
6: This week during our uh, family worship time together, uh, when we turned to the scripture, I was sharing with my family and we were discussing the scripture that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I was explaining the whole caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly process. My son said, he's six years old. Daddy, daddy, I get it. It, It's it's, weird, we're like the caterpillars. God provides the cocoon and God's desire all along is even though we're in caterpillar form, is for us to become butterflies. And then look what he said. But you know when we get into trouble, Daddy? When we try to move from caterpillar to butterfly and we skip over God. And when you try to skip over God, you think you have your wings, but you fall flat.
5: Tune in to The Hamilton Quarter weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk.
6: And I have to tell you, I had to fight back tears in the moment because i say, oh Lord, he, he's getting this.
1: You're listening to a best
5: of edition of Stacey on the Right. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right. Trump
4: derangement syndrome has officially come to the Senate. The hatred for the president is so intense that partisans would rather risk war than give diplomacy a chance. Does anybody remember that Ronald Reagan sat down with Gorbachev and we lessened the nuclear tensions? We need to still have those openings. Nobody is saying or excusing Russia's meddling in our elections. Absolutely, we should protect the integrity of our elections. But simply bringing the hatred of the president to the Senate floor in order to say, we're done with diplomacy, we're going to add more sanctions and more sanctions, you know what? I would rather that we still have open channels of discussion with the Russians.
2: So that's Rand Paul speaking on the floor of the Senate, and he has been really ripping into this. Uh, it's, he, I think he's had enough. He's really been tired, and uh, I think he's just ready to just let some folks have it, and he's really being almost too nice about it. Uh, we have a problem when America's government is so completely mired in partisanship that nothing can get done, and I'm not talking about new laws and legislation because I I really feel like they should just spend they should take a six month pun- six month moratorium on passing new legislation and go through everything and just eliminate everything that's a duplication, anything that's unworkable, anything that has to do with agencies that no longer should exist because they are past their expiration date. They should do a cleanup. Companies do this; it's a ru- it's a matter of routine. Often they'll do it as as the ending part of their strategic planning, which. Strategic planning goes on all the time, but they usually renew the strategic plan every five years or so. Some businesses, it's three. It depends. It really is uh, a matter of what your leadership and uh, your operational efficiencies, a lot goes into deciding how you do that. But the point is, uh, there's no corporation that's operating in the Fortune 500 space that does not routinely address their policies, their uh, strategies, their practices, their procedures, and whether or not they're utilizing outdated, outmoded forms of implementation policies, whatever, whatever it is that they've got going on. They have their legal teams go through that stuff, and they have policy review. Not only Fortune 500 companies, but um, boards, educational boards do policy review where Every year they review a part of their policy manual so that they can make sure that outdated policies are not still going on because they have a lot riding on it because they can be sued. See, the government can't be sued. It's a matter of fact that not only do our elected officials, but often many of these people who are career appointees, they have uh, immunity that prevents them from being held accountable for the things that they do. That's why you see the EPA poisoning a river and, and no one gets held accountable the person who's in charge of that part of the agency who's responsible for the poisoning of the water, nothing happens because they have immunity. And Charles C.W. Cook, who writes for like every different place, and he's one of the editors, uh, editor-in-chief of National Review Online, I believe. And he's someone I've, I've met him. He's brilliant. Uh, he's a genius, an actual genius. And he wrote an article about, he's a, he's a former Brit. He was born and raised in Great Britain, but he's recently become an American citizen. He's married. They have a beautiful little boy. And he's written an article about how in America, uh, we don't have a monarchy. We actually have laws on the books that no one at a state level or the federal level can create a royal title for themselves. But we allow our elected officials to own their titles as if they're, they're, so that we allow them to own their elected titles as if they are like the Earl of the IRS. Now, here's why that's, So ridiculous. First of all, once you've been the president of the United States, you're always referred to as the president. That's ridiculous. The fact is, you should be the president as long as you're the president. And then afterwards, you could be called almost anything, whatever you do now, but you're not the president anymore. Because while you're getting called president, there actually is a president sitting in the White House who was elected, who has that job currently. Same thing with governors. If you were a governor, you're still called the governor for the rest of your life. Really? Really? What are you the governor of at this point? You were the governor. You're not anymore. We allow them to do that. We allow them to have immunity and we don't hold people accountable. Lois Lerner was the head of the IRS and she w- was presiding over that IRS targeting scandal in which conservative organizations were prevented from getting their tax exempt status, which severely impacted their ability to contribute to election wins on the right. And that was the purpose of her doing that to hem up a very, very efficient Tea Party movement that was really making strides in elections. And they were able to do that under the auspices of good government. And then afterwards, when they were found to have done wrong, they were allowed to skate scot-free. Why? Because she will forever be Lois Lerner, head of the IRS. That's That's not the way this country was meant to work. And we've got to put a stop to it. I don't know how we get that done because we're asking the people who are elected, who've afforded themselves this immunity, who've all, they're, they're the ones who created it. Congress created this immunity and voted it in for themselves. How do we get them to undo that? I don't know, but it, it's a conversation that's worth having at these think tanks. Instead of think tanks sitting up trying to figure out ways where we can open our borders up in ways that people who are here illegally can stay, they should be thinking about ways that we can implement a systematic law review where it just like the policy reviews that organizations in the private sector undergo because they don't want to open themselves up to legal jeopardy through lawsuits, we should have the same type of review going on in our federal government to eliminate duplicative laws, laws that are outdated, laws that no longer make sense because other laws contradict them. These should be things that are done on a regular basis. If we need a committee of elected officials to do it, fine. If we need a group of impartial private citizens whatever that is like okay there wouldn't be impartial but we need a group of private citizens to do it to undertake it to be elected to to do it fine but it has to happen but we can't even have conversations about this can we let's be honest can we have a conversation about this with a liberal when they are currently literally slobbering at the mouth over the idea of killing Donald Trump they're actually fantasizing about assassinating the president of the United States. They're that upset and powerless. This is where we are in this country. So we have to pray about this. We have to ask the Lord to bring justice and clarity and, and a sense of shame back to individuals who've lost, they've seared their hearts, their consciousness don't work anymore, and they no longer have the ability to be ashamed of uh, something that would previous to this point, you would feel shame. You would feel shame ashamed that you wanted someone dead because of their political views that that's gone by the wayside we have to do that and then I want to turn to a uh, breaking news story out of Missouri and oh it, it is just uh it's terrible um it's the accident that happened with one of the duck boats so if you are not aware of what a duck boat is it is first of all they're old military vehicles and the they're called duck boats because they have wheels and they can drive on land. And they're, they're huge boats. It's, this is way bigger than a minivan. Imagine, uh, like, it's a military vehicle that basically is an amphibious vehicle. It drives right off of the driveway into the water. And then the wheels retract and the motors kick in and it's a seaworthy vessel. The top is open so you're sitting in it and it's literally like a boat only the sides come up much higher than a small boat would. And so you sit in it and you have on you're supposed to have on a life vest. My husband and I have ridden on a duck boat once in Branson with our kids. So we know exactly which which business this is that had the accident. So you get in it and you're in there with about so it's about 17 people total plus the person and they take you on this lake in Branson and they give you it's like a tour. You get to hear them talk about the lake and, and how it came to be and Branson and the history of the town of Branson, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they were on Table Rock Lake in bad weather last night at about 7 p.m., and we had some storms here in Missouri. And so I would caution you if you're thinking about going out on um, those little jet skis or if you're thinking about going on one of those, you know, the... the so the little jet skis that you ride and it's a motorized vehicle, or the the ones that you go on where you are literally on a pair of skis and you're getting pulled behind a vehicle. If it's raining at all, if it's thunderstorming, it is not a good idea to go out. So if if the person who's selling you the ride is not giving you any warning about the storm, you would think you'd say, okay, they're they care a lot about whether or not, you know, they have accidents and they're trained in what the condition should be but you also have to use your common sense. The person might just really want to have one more duck boat sail, uh, you know, one more one more boat ride before the end of the day, and it sounds like and I don't know who's at fault here. I'm not I'm not blaming the duck boat people, but it just it common sense tells me someone should have said, "Hey, it's storming. Water's a bit choppy. You got to come back tomorrow." But that's not what happened. And and let me correct something I said about the 17 people. 17 people lost their lives, but the boat actually had 31 people there. So the boat was carrying this 31 people, which included a, a number of children. And aggressive storms rolled over the area, thrashing the water. 11 people were pulled dead from the water Friday night. Seven were taken to the hospital. On Friday morning, this morning, they found another six bodies in the water, including three children. The dead range in age from a one-year-old baby to a 70-year-old, but they are not yet publicly identified. The boat's driver died, but the captain of the boat was one of the 14 people who survived the incident. So you got the boat driver, you have the captain who usually gives the, you know, they talk about it being, you know, it's a boat ride, they're the boat captain, they give the tour. Um, and passengers on other boats on the water filmed the harrowing footage of the boat being overpowered by waves. The National Weather Service had actually issued a severe storm warning at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday, about 30 minutes before uh, the actual capsizing. What's so horrifying about it is that there's some, some video, uh, which I have not watched, but I know that uh, there were news reports late last night when I first saw the story where that basically the water was thrashing around the boat and the boat began to take on water and to sink. And, you know, the, the waves and everything were so choppy that it really, it was just a miracle that everyone who was on the boat wasn't, wasn't drowned because it's one thing to know how to swim. It's another thing to know how to keep your head above water when the waves are rough and choppy and the, and, and it's raining. And I mean, there's just no excuse for going out in those conditions and having a one-year-old baby with, you know, in the boat. I mean, I just, I don't understand that at all. So the lake is 229 feet deep. It has a surface area of 43,000 acres, and it was partially reopened to the public on Friday morning. Authorities are now working to bring the boat wreckage back to the shore to investigate why it failed. This particular duck boat actually did have a roof and side windows, so it kind of looked like a duck bus, if you will. Um, so I just encourage everyone in the listening audience that we, we have to pray um, for God's mercy and for the Holy Spirit to be with the people who have lost their loved ones um, in this horrible accident. They were obviously on vacation. And this is just, it's, it's a, a really, it's a, it's a sad moment for, um, for the town of Branson and for Missourians and especially for those who've lost loved ones here. Um, there are other details here. And Governor Parson, the governor of the state of Missouri, has weighed in. He said, needless to say, the things that have occurred in the last 24 hours, it is a sad occasion with lots of families involved. Some of the victims were on vacation in Missouri from other states. And the authorities are now trying to contact all of the victims' families. And and if you are not familiar with Branson, it is this little town that has grown into a tourist Mecca. And so a lot of people will talk about the live shows that they have. They have these country and Western shows and um, they'll often have like, think of it as the Midwestern Las Vegas, but without the prostitution and all that stuff. So there's a lot of like, there's wild Woody where you can ride the, it's a wooden go-kart thing. It's the entire thing's made of wood and you literally ride Uh, your go-kart up all all up and down these spirals and you know, you can go fast and you can race with other people and they have two seaters. So you can have your kid in the passenger seat and you can drive if your kid's too small to drive. They also have, uh, like I said, the live shows that you can go and watch and they have a lot of fun, like water park attractions, mini golf, the duck boats, tons of restaurants. And so it's a fun place to go. Like if you're looking to drive someplace and you're not, you don't want to drive all the way down to the beach And you live in Missouri or if you live anywhere within driving distance, really, it's worth it. And you can stay in not just a hotel. You can also stay in like um, their timeshares. They have timeshares in Branson. So you can buy one or you can rent one and stay there. And it's an affordable family vacation. And it's very popular. So we've been with our family a couple times, and we did the duck boat ride. It's like a rite of passage. When you go to Branson, what are you going to do? You're going to drive the go-karts on Wild Woody. You're going to do some, they have some bungee jumping and stuff like that, which we didn't do. They have trail rides. You can ride uh, these amazing vistas, Missouri vistas, on these trail rides because you go up a very steep hill on a narrow little path on your little horse. And as you look over, you can see amazing views of, you know, kind of, valleys and mountains and everything in, in Branson, um, from the trail ride. So there's a ton of fun stuff to do there. It's a resort town, which makes this all the more harrowing for these families because they were just there to have fun. And, um, this is a tragedy. So let's keep these people in our prayers. They need it. Um, they're, they're really, they're in need. And that's the first hour of the program. So we'll be back. We'll talk about this McDonald's food poisoning thing. We'll take your calls. We'll have a whole lot more fun in hour two of Stacey on the Right, right here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Keep it here.